Thanks for tuning in to Upward Way Podcast. If you're looking to be spiritually blessed, moved, and inspired, there is no doubt you are in the right place. On our show, guests recount their encounter with Christ and how their lives have been transformed through the grace and love of God. And now, please welcome our host. Hello and welcome to Upward Way. I am your host, Marlon Walters. My guest today is a homeschool mom, Bible worker, literature evangelist, TEFL consultant, artisan, and business owner. Jasmine Freiter, welcome to the Upward Way. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome just the same. And it's really a joy and a privilege having you joining us on the Upward Way. And I do hope that as you share your story, my listeners will be richly blessed. Now, could you just share with us your faith journey? Ooh, where do I begin? Um, we know that God, from the moment that you're born, he has a, a path set out for you and he wants your path to be straight and he wants you to go straight to heaven. And it's us that kind of veers off that path. So <laughs> my faith journey began at birth to an eclectic faith family. We would pray before food. Uh, for what we're about to receive, may the Lord make <laughs> And it's kind of a mantra after a while, rather than a prayer. We'd pray at night, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. And then we'd pretty much forget about God the other times. <laughs> then Sunday would come, and we would get all dressed up, and we'd go to the Pentecostal church one Sunday. And then the next Sunday, we'd go to a Baptist church. And then the next one, we'd go to an Anglican church. And then a Reformed church, and sporadically, I'd go to an Adventist church with my auntie. And that was pretty much <laughs> at 13, I was told I was touched by God because I didn't want to leave the church and I was crying. And that was in a Pentecostal church. And therein I began an independent study of the Bible. And then between my teens and 24, I became a non-church Christian, <laughs> whereby I would write on the form uh, in hospitals or in job interviews, I'm a Christian and I would have no Christian activity whatsoever. And that's pretty much it. That's my background. Wow. Sounds pretty interesting. You know, we talk about island hopping in the Caribbean, but in your case, it sounded as if you were church hopping. <laughs> church hopping. It wasn't me. It's my family. It's my parents. They were seeking. They were searching. My mom was seeking and searching. And it wasn't until I became an adult and I started to piece together the jigsaw that is a Jamaican family that my great-grandmother in Jamaica was Adventist and she became Adventist when my mom was born. So my mom, for seven, eight years, was going to the Adventist church. And then when we came here, she's probably looking for it. <laughs> but she's young and she's growing up and she doesn't know where it is. So God puts in our heart a God-shaped lobe to seek him with all our heart. And she was looking. She was looking for him and couldn't find him. <laughs> Bless her. Sounds interesting thus far. So what should have been that maybe, I would say, defining moment in terms of embracing that faith that was somewhat planted from your... Mm. Yeah, and I truly believe that's the right terminology, that it was planted. The seed was already there. There was an awareness of the Sabbath. So it didn't become odd to me. And when I independently studied the Bible, and independent study, I would 
I would advocate it and I would discourage it at the same time because when you have an independent study, you become independent. You become a scholar and a scribe and you kind of come to your own conclusions. And it's not always so good. And therein you, you stay a non-church Christian. So thankfully I had my aunt, my mom's best friend, to direct me to steer me. She would take me to Sabbath school and I, I had these memories of going to a little tiny mobile in a field which was the Adventist church in those days in the 80s and she was the one that kind of showed me this is how you worship Jasmine oh you sing songs that's nice this is how you pray and I end up praying exactly like her and all her little mentees people say you pray like Auntie Annis because <laughs> she, she just teaches the same kind of you know in your blessed name Jesus kind of prayer so it was mainly her, and there was no one time where I could say, oh, I fell off my horse and the light shined and I went blind. There was no revelation like that. It was more just getting back on the path that God already had set out <laughs> in a plain mundane sort of way, I'm afraid. <laughs> what I'll say on that is that you finally embraced your faith. Earlier when I did my introduction, I did say that you were a homeschool mom, Bible worker, artisan, business owner, among other things. And that is an indication to me that you do quite a lot. With all of that said, people often spend a lot of time developing their careers, developing themselves, developing their business, etc. And quite often that is done at the neglect of their spiritual dimension. Now, in your case, how do you actively pursue your own spiritual growth? Ooh, that's a good one. I learned something in Japan when I was serving there in Tokyo International Church that in order to improve your memory, you should memorize something. You should read it, you should write it down, you should speak it out loud. But the most effective way to improve your memory or improve any kind of skill is to teach it. And this is what I do. So everything I learn, somebody needs to sit down and listen to me so that I can, <laughs> I can develop, <laughs> sit down and just listen to what I've learned. <laughs> so I'm a Sabbath school teacher, I'm a homeschool mother, so everything I learn, even in my devotion, I would say, wow, to my daughter, let me just share with you what I learned in my devotion. I need to share this with you. And therefore, by teaching it, I've improved my sword, I've sharpened my sword, as it were. And now I've joined a Chinese ministry as well. So everything I learned in Japan, in terms of the kanji and the link with the Bible, I'm now teaching it to them so that it stays in my head and I can consolidate it. And then I'm amazed all over again at the way God's word is preserved. I would recommend to anyone, if you want to further your own spiritual growth, don't just eat it, teach it. Don't just eat the word, teach the word. <laughs> I really enjoy that one. Don't just eat the word, teach it. So Jasmine, you are a Bible worker, and I don't know too many persons who will say, okay, I'm a Bible worker. So what is that experience like for you being a Bible worker? It is one of the most fulfilling, draining, challenging, uh, spiritually uplifting jobs I've ever had. I'm a teacher by trade. God allowed me to go through the Babylonian education system <laughs> come out unscathed. <laughs> 
But all those skills enabled me to be able to impart knowledge in such a way that no one else can. So everyone's style is unique. So when I approach someone who doesn't know anything about God, comes into my classroom or I come into contact with, I always have a mindset that, okay, God has placed that person in my life for a reason. There's something that he's given me that I now need to touch, softly touch the heart of that person. I think one of the most um, poignant moments I had as a Bible worker, and that was um, on mission in Tokyo, somebody walking from the street in Harajuku, sitting down in my class and saying, explain to me Isaiah 49. (laughs) (laughs) But the Lord in his mercy, he brought it all back to my memory. So we went back to Isaiah 49. And the Holy Spirit just brought it into my memory. Okay, what was Isaiah doing at that time? How can I impart this to this person? So it's challenging because you really need to know your stuff. Someone's going to ask you something and you don't have a book. You don't have a script. You can't refer to anything. And you've got to have that context within the Bible to be able to say to them, this is what it says. Then this is what it means now for you. So I just love, I miss it and I love it and I miss it and I love it. (laughs) I'm still doing it digitally. I'm not quite the same, but I still love it. And I just, it's just one of those jobs I'll never retire from. You know, I feel tempted like that person to ask you to explain for me Isaiah chapter 59. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I won't bother to ask you to do that for me today. God speaks to us in so many different ways, whenever he's communicating. From your own experience, what method does God most often use whenever he communicates with you? I had a closer walk with the Lord when I had my child. Um, My experience, my relationship with God has intensified in some ways just being a mum. And what's lovely is being able to share with her this is what God has given me and and ask her how does God speak to you and we found that we've come together because he he seems to speak to us in the same way through his word and through music and what we've started doing now is we make our own scripture songs so she would say oh listen to this mom and she'll play it on the piano or she'll sing it and I'll say that's nice (laughs) all of a sudden she's got a song on Exodus chapter 14. I was like, that's beautiful. So one time what God did was I was going through a woe is me time and I was saying, Lord, I can't. It's, I'm tired. <laughs> woe is me. And he took me to the glad texts. There's about 88 glad texts in the Bible. And one of them is Psalm chapter 122. And he said, I was so glad when he said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. But at the time I was reading I heard music in the background and the scripture said it's a song of degrees. So the music was going up and down and I thought, is that a radio on? What's that sound? And I realized it's in my head. (laughs) It was almost as if God put in this concerto into my head. It was beautiful. And I said, Lord, that's nice. I better write this down. And I wrote it down. I sang it to my daughter and we ended up singing it at a very special event in church. And everyone said, did you get that song from YouTube? (laughs) No. I got it from heaven. (laughs) I got it from the heavenly jukebox. And it's such a beautiful song. And we sing it now and she can harmonize it. And I said, wow. So his word, but not just music, music that we compose, which is another level. 
of <laughs> communication with us. We're really blessed to be able to be musical and God helps us to remember the scripture through his music. It's, it's quite awe-inspiring. I really consider that one to be awe-inspiring. God uses our gifts, our talents as a tool, as a means, as a method, as a medium through which he communicates with, with us. Indeed, it's awe-inspiring. To ask you to share challenges, it's not oftentimes easy. Nonetheless, as a guest on my show, you can't escape this one. What would you say would have been one of the greatest challenges you had to overcome? And also, if you don't mind, what would have been your strategy for overcoming? Um, I referred before um, to my woe is me time. And my woe is me time was um, sadly the disintegration of my marriage. It followed the postnatal depression, having my child, my only child. And it also followed um, severe fatigue and all kinds of ailments. It was a real Job experience for me. Short of losing my house, I lost everything in a very real sense. And I think that was the most challenging time because that was a time I'd gone through other issues, but that was a time when I, I really shouted at God and I've never done that before. And I just said, you know, why? Why me, God? What, what do you want from me? <laughs> it was kind of like, I've just given you five years of my life. I think I expected some sort of coupon, God. Some sort of, I've got a God voucher. I've got a get out of jail free. And what I concluded from the whole trial, because every trial is, is for a reason. Um, John sixteen thirty three says, in the world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have it, but be of good cheer. And, and I had to come to that realization that it's going to hit me as well. I'm not immune to it. <laughs> I'm in the world. <laughs> I don't have my own world <laughs> as much as I'd love to. It's going to hit me as well. And how do I deal with it? And, and now, how do I translate this issue to my child? I'm always thinking as an educator, how can I teach her? No matter what I'm going through, even if I'm looking absolutely slovingly, even if I don't comb my hair, even if I'm wearing tracksuit bottoms every day, <laughs> how do I educate the child, Lord? <laughs> and that's always, that's always in the, my, the forefront of my head. And, and God in his mercy was like, Jasmine, teach the child. Yes, Lord. <laughs> no matter, even if you've had half an hour sleep, teach the child. And that's how I overcame the why, Lord, this is so bad. I think I can't get through it stage. Teach the child. The homeschooling was like a blessing. Because she, she actually admitted the other day, I don't actually look at what you're wearing. <laughs> I mean, I look fine now. I'm not going through the woe as me. But I was so conscious. I thought, oh, no, I don't want my daughter to think this is how women carry themselves. <laughs> I want to dis distinguish. She goes, I don't actually notice what you're wearing or how you look. I said, you're supposed to notice these things, darling. You're supposed to say, are you OK, mom? <laughs> Be compassionate. <laughs> but I was conscious of that. I didn't want her to think this is normal because it wasn't you know it, it was a manifestation of depression it was a manifestation of um, absolute sorrow and woe and i wanted her to see that was a really sad time for mummy she remembers a little bit of it but all she can remember is we had lessons <laughs> we carried on with school no matter what happens carry on with the school so god is so merciful and he's so wonderful that way because he knows she could really hit rock bottom and i could lose her so what can I give her? What anchor can I give her to hold on and run out this storm? Just ride it out. 
That is a tough one. That is indeed a challenging experience you just recounted. And I can only say that I'm really sorry to hear about that whole episode, the disintegration of your marriage as you put it. But I'm happy to see that you have really pulled through. Also in sharing your story though, you have made my next question even easier. Picking up on the purview, the point of view of you being a homeschool mom, or let me just say a homeschool parent in that perspective, what is a typical day like? Because we don't hear of too many persons, too many parents, you know, saying that, okay, I'm going to homeschool my child. We usually think about having our kids, sending them off to school every day. So what is that experience like? It's, it's amazing. I've taught over 5,000 children worldwide. I've been teaching for 21 years in Jamaica, in Japan, in Korea, here in the UK. I've written a 10,000 word essay on the state of education. I've done six lectures on education, but nothing could prepare me for this. <laughs> nothing prepares you for motherhood. Nothing prepares you for teaching homeschool. I've had to stand on my head and shake everything out that I'd learned in the past <laughs> about education and, and let God just lead and rewrite everything because much of what we learn, especially in the Western system, is a Greekized form of education. And what God was trying, trying to show me and is showing me is I need to adopt the Hebrew system, which is totally, totally opposite and totally different. Our day begins the night before so if I don't prepare the evening before, then my whole day is messed up. So I need to prepare the evening before. And when I go to bed, my devotion is our lesson, our first, very first lesson. And I eat it, uh, eat the word, and I digest it for myself. God, what is it you're trying to say to me? And then in the morning, I study it again. God, what is it you're trying to say to my daughter? And then when she wakes up, I do it again. <laughs> God, help me to teach this now <laughs> to her so that she can understand. So it's, it's almost having a tandem educational system from God. I'm learning. She's learning. We're both on the same bicycle. And then we have um, people often say to me, you know, when does your school begin? I said, from the moment she wakes up. No child can compartmentalize learning. You can't tell a child Ask me that again at nine o'clock. <laughs> they have questions all the time. Ask me again when mommy finishes brushing her teeth. <laughs> That's a brilliant question. Let's research that later. Um, so there's no set time when a child's brain stops learning. You can't say now stop asking me questions. It's half past three. That's not the way a child learns. Their brain is forever absorbing everything. Even when I'm not actively, physically, directly teaching her, she's still learning. She's in learning mode. Most of what we do is outdoors. We have outdoor classroom bag whereby we go out, we collect things. We have object lessons of things in nature. We have our own little greenhouse. We go on walks. We talk. Thursdays is dedicated to Japanese studies. She's half Japanese and it's very important for her to understand her language. Important for her to be able to um, know the Bible and her language. It's important for her to be proud of her heritage, her mixed heritage. I mean, she, <laughs> we're Jamaican. You know what that's like. <laughs> Talk about all nations. <laughs> so she's got coupled with, you know, the Japanese, a little bit of Indian and everything in her Korean. 
But for her now, I don't need to teach her Japanese. She's now teaching. So she teaches her grandfather, she teaches her friend. And through teaching, she's learning more. And I've joined her class because I've forgotten my lessons. <laughs> she's ashamed of me. Mommy, you need to join my class and learn hiragana again. So she does Thursdays Japanese. Mondays, we dedicate to numeracy. But it's numeracy in a contextual, practical way. So it's numeracy in the kitchen. It's numeracy with woodwork. It's numeracy with the garden. So how can we incorporate? Last week, she converted uh, Great British Prams into Japanese yen. It's contextual. It's practical. It's life skills. Uh, Tuesdays, we have art. And this is all within the context of Hebrew Bible learning. Um, how can a daughter of an artist not be able to paint? <laughs> that, would be, that would be a big F on my report from God, isn't it? How come she can't draw, Jasmine? <laughs> so Tuesdays we dedicate to painting and art. She's now doing her Tang Dynasty series. She's done about 20 paintings in the style of 7th century Chinese art. <laughs> She's into that. Wednesdays we have research. We usually do languages. We're linguists. We're in Wales. We're learning Welsh. We learn Spanish, teach a little bit of French, obviously English as well. And then Fridays is kind of catch up. We do pathfinders. We kind of wind down. We prepare for the Sabbath. So yeah, it's, it's every day. And it's, it's a child that I can't give back. <laughs> She's mine. <laughs> so our day is a little bit different. Like today, um, everyone is, is, you know, trekking off to the beach doing something with the children because we've got the children now for us we're like <laughs> it's just couch <laughs> it's just completely veg because we're really tired our, our school is active most of the time and we're together most of the time and now we have some me time her time <laughs> that is quite a journey quite a journey and if there's one thing i can relate to being a parent myself is as you see once your daughter's awake, then school begins. In my case, once my son is awake, the day just starts. So if I had planned some activity once he's up, then I have to cancel or I have to readjust because that is just how it is sometimes. Just to carry on from where you, you left off, being a homeschool parent, there might be others who may be contemplating the the same thing but they may be thinking you know what are the inner workings you know is there a particular curriculum to follow or how will I earn while homeschooling that might be one of the you know bigger question that persons may 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 have may ask so how does it work in your case at least yeah when I first got married we decided that we would have a self-supporting ministry which means that Whatever we earn, whatever we're doing goes into the ministry and, and vice versa. I heard a saying, run your, run your business like a ministry, but don't run your ministry like a business. So it separates. I'm right now inside my classroom. I'm a, an online teaching English as a foreign language consultant. And I can come down. This is my classroom. McKinney's upstairs. And I can do two, three hours, four hours a day while she's having her lunch and teach and then that's it at the end of the month <laughs> no it's really quite simple um it's one of the best jobs that i've ever had because i don't need to go anywhere and i can keep my slippers on as well always a bonus <laughs> um but there's other ways there's other ways that i earn like i said i have many many roles um and god always wants us to see what's in our hand what do you have in your hand for me, it's teaching, it's art. For somebody else, 
it's going to be something, but you've got something in your hand. It will enable you to be able to have a balance of work. It will enable you to save money. It will enable you to keep the Sabbath. I know so many people are saying, I would, but you know, I've got the job and I have to work on Sabbath and all this. Um, but if you're in control and you have your own timetable and you are your own boss, then it's your timetable. <laughs> you are the head teacher. You determine when it happens, what happens. Um, recently, last September, we became literature evangelists. We have our own bookshop. And it's always been my dream to be a literature evangelist. My husband was, my former husband was a literature evangelist. And this is what we were doing to earn money. I don't just like going to the door and giving to people and walking away. I like the relationship that you develop with the person. They ask you to look for things that they can't find. And I love that. And I love the library. I love being able to look for a book and give it to them and then just develop a relationship with the family. Um, so we have that. And that's my dream come true. For my daughter, she's now becoming an entrepreneur. She has her own skincare business, <laughs> which, which I work. I work for her. And, and she loves it because it's, it's her little niche and it's her entrepreneurship thing. And we had a little reunion yesterday with our Japanese friends and family. But it's also an opportunity to share the health message. So in everything that we do, we've got to put God in there. It can't be separated. And then in between, I entwine the two. So the books is part of her schooling. She needs to read. <laughs> it's part of her schooling. She now knows how to write an address on a package. She now knows the weight of packages. She now knows what to say at the post office. All of that is part of her school. And when people say to her, are you not at school today, Luffy? <laughs> She'll say, yes, I'm homeschooled. I'm at school right now. And I said, yes, she's at school right now. And you're teaching her what it means to stand quietly in a line. <laughs> Every single part of the world is teaching her. And they were like, oh, I didn't look at it that way. Yeah, <laughs> you don't need to be in a building to learn. You can learn anywhere. And all these little things is giving her life skills, practical skills for later, for her own business, for her own ministry, so that she'll say, oh, yeah, I know how to do that. Yeah, I know how to post a package. Yeah, I know how to make an email. All these little things that we would almost wait and de defer for later when they're in mainstream why can't she do it now? <laughs> What's stopping her? She can write. <laughs> Why can't she put a stamp on? But we would put that later on, just before she goes into work experience in mainstream school in Key Stage 3. And why? Why would we wait until they're 12, 13 to teach them how to write a letter? <laughs> She's getting a lot of exposure to a lot of things that many children wouldn't see. They wouldn't see this is how mommy works. This is what a tax return looks like. <laughs> what is tax, mommy? Okay, this is what tax is. Children don't learn those things. They don't even ask this question because they're not exposed to them when they're in mainstream school. It's almost an artificial world that they're exposed to. There's many gaps in their learning. Um, and I'm guilty of, of those gaps because I was a teacher. And I think, ah, yeah, I never did teach them about this. <laughs> and they've left school and they can't sign a form for themselves. <laughs> yeah, we never, we never did form writing, did we? All those little things that people take for granted, children in this day and age are unable to do because we haven't equipped them to do it. We often use the term in education, lifelong learning. And based on what you have just shared, you are allowing your child to be a lifelong learner. And it's really fascinating 
for me it is something that i would aspire to do myself sometime in the future tackling the whole idea of homeschooling and as we would say oftentimes in jamaica when i grow up i want to be just like you it's really and truly impressive it's really and truly impressive i must say i also like the part you put in your in your narrative what it is that you have in your hands that is something we sometimes don't think about enough we often look at what we don't have i am reminded of the story of moses as he led the children of israel god asked him what it is that you have in your hand and moses was able to look in his hand and realize that he had a rod so we all have our own rods in our hands and we have to be prepared to use that to to serve ourselves to serve god and also to eke out a living has god has god ever given you an assignment that you didn't want to do has he ever <laughs> you threw a curveball <laughs> it was it was going back into mainstream so i i became a teacher in 2004 no 1999 <laughs> It's a long time. I'm getting old. I need to retire. And um and little by little I could see hold on this is different to the way I I was educated. There was there was too much bureaucracy of things going on and I thought what's going on? And then um the Lord plucked me up with my experience and took me to Korea and then on to Japan, Tokyo, and then on to marriage and my own self um supporting ministry and then thrust me back to the UK and I went ah! <laughs> One, I don't want to be back in the UK, Lord. Why? My life was there in Japan, and then thrust me back into mainstream teaching. And I was like, no, I've got an allergy to mainstream teaching. But at the same time, I could see God's plan after everything had finished. And this is the way God works. He doesn't reveal everything at the time. Our brains won't be able to take it anyway. He gives us just enough light for the step that we're on. Otherwise, we would be consumed. So at the time, I was like, "Why and why, Lord, gritted teeth? Why oh, don't you know? I don't like being back in this place." And it becomes so such confusion in mainstream, and and it wasn't child-centered, and it and it was just breaking my heart. But During that time like I said he enabled me through my experience of mainstream to be able to help other mothers deal with mainstream there was a whole family from Zimbabwe who had moved from Zimbabwe to Luton to Northampton they said Jasmine what's going on in the schools our children are going backwards <laughs> and I was like I don't know <laughs> don't ask me I'm not going back into mainstream and I'm not putting my daughter in it blah 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 and it was it was almost like Jonah like anyway <laughs> anyway Nineveh <laughs> and it was horrible and God showed me Jasmine that's not nice that's that's Jonah do you remember him and I was like oh <laughs> and he said and by the way I'm sending you back in and I was like man look <laughs> but this time you're working for me and it was a nice mission because at least I got to see firsthand I didn't have to speculate I didn't have to go on to Google and see what's going on in the schools and I could help them. And as a result, like I said, I made a six series, six lecture series called The State of Education in which I showed them this is what's going on. This is what it means because many parents with children in mainstream don't really understand 
the legislature. They don't understand the education acts that are coming out. They don't understand the implications of the different acts. They don't understand the curriculum and it's all jargon. And they just need someone to talk it through with them. This is your rights. This is what the children are going through. Certain issues have changed in school. And you need to keep your children close to you and keep teaching the Bible because they're not going to get it at school. Don't think that mainstream school is going to teach them spirituality in the Bible. That's your responsibility. So that was the nature of all these lectures. And then by the sixth lecture where I said, Lord, I think this is the last one. He said, yes, it is. And he took me out. I was like, praise God. (laughs) Amen. So that was hard. But I can see now why I had to go through it why it needed to be done, because it wasn't about me. It was about those parents that asked me the question, and I had to answer them. What do you think would surprise most persons about you? Nothing. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. My life doesn't seem that grandiose or dramatic to me. The path that God has put in my heart doesn't seem surprising to me. It's almost like, ah. That's why that happened, Lord. And he was like, "Mm mm-hmm. But to other people, it's surprising. So two people stuck out when I moved to Japan. My cousin in Milton Keynes said to me, Jazz, you're moving to Japan? Who does that? (laughs) Translation, who in our family in their right mind would go so far east to a place that we never, ever know? (laughs) Brother Marlon did. (laughs) And, And then when I got to Japan... Um, one of the deacons said, uh, Jasmine Sensei, uh, did you have culture shock? I said, culture shock about what? Hey, <laughs> you didn't feel, what about the food? Did you like the, yes. Hey, how comes you're not like feeling out of sorts? Um, I'm not shocked about anything. Yeah. So I was, I was a surprise for them. But for me, it was just normal to be there. I had a dream at eight that I would live in Japan and... God fulfilled the dream. <laughs> just normal. So I don't know if anything is surprising about my life from my perspective. Maybe somebody else will say, wow, that's surprising. Yes, that is what would surprise most persons about you and not what would surprise you. Just the same. You know, it's quite interesting. I heard someone mention some time ago that they don't really miss others. And that is something quite interesting that maybe most, if not everyone, would find surprising that this individual doesn't really miss others. As we transition onto a more reflective question, in a conversation with someone who has never heard about God, and I'm sure you'd have encountered persons like this in your past, what would you say to this individual about God from your own experience. In other words, who is God to Jasmine? Um, I, I'm asked to do a lot of children's stories because I work with the children in church. And I, when I do my children's stories, I, I don't read a book and I, I don't tend to give anybody else's accounts because then it will be a mission report. So I usually give experiences of what we've been through, what my daughter and I have been through, or what I've been through, or my travels. And the one thing I think that I've really spoken about ex- Extensively is pump number seven. It was a story of pump number seven. I was um, getting ready to go to a friend's dinner and we had all these things packed away in our bag and I just began with my daughter to pray before we drive. And I always say, you know, let's pray before we drive. Dear God, bless us in any way you choose and bless all the people that we come into contact. We got into the car and just um, about an hour before we left, my brother called me and said, Jazz, 
have a look at all these cars that I have in my, in my drive. And I said, uh, okay. <laughs> he said, do you want one of these cars? I said, no, I have my own car. Yeah, but do you want one of these? I said, no, they're big tank cars. And I have my own little ladybird car. I don't like big tank cars. I'm not very good with big engines loud. And I don't know how to park them. And he said, are you sure? Because I'm going to take the car up to our brothers at one o'clock. And I said, fine, you know, I don't need a car. What was that about, Lord? <laughs> I left at one o'clock. I said, right, McKinney, we're leaving at one o'clock and we'll get to um, Auntie Angela's house at half past one and we'll be in time for the dinner. And we left and we're singing the song. We're going to the dinner. We're going to see all our friends. We're going to see such and such and such. We're going to see all our friends. And we're just singing along. And then all of a sudden the car power went dead. And I'm doing 50 miles an hour off the slip road onto a dual carriageway where all the cars are just and I thought mm, the car's gone dead. I had no control over the car. The steering wheel went as heavy as a ton of bricks. I went, Lord, help us. <laughs> and I thought, ah, maybe we're out of petrol. And, and the car kind of jolted as well. McKinney said, you know, what happened? I said, I think we're out of petrol. So I said, oh, I don't know where we are. Where's the nearest? Oh, good. Praise God. There's a petrol station. We veered off to the left. And I, I tell you, my brother, it was the most amazing experience. The car turned to the left without me turning the steering wheel. There was no power in the car. And it veered off to the left. It stopped right outside pump number seven. And the engine was still on. And it braked exactly outside pump number seven. And I said, praise God. <laughs> How amazing is that? And I, I skipped into the kiosk and I said, we just experienced a miracle. And the kiosk was a bit of a scoffer. And he said, oh, it would be a miracle if you weren't paying Tesco prices. <laughs> he was just miserable. And I was like, anyway, it was a miracle. And then as I got back into the car and I put 22 pounds worth of petrol into the car and I put the engine on and there was no, no power whatsoever. And I went, <laughs> that kind of, oh dear, kind of sound that the car makes. And I thought, oh man, it's 1.20, we're going to be late <laughs> and I don't like being late. And I called up my uncle who worked for Honda. He said, Jazz, what happened? And I said, oh, I don't know, you know, the engine went, he said, what? Jazz, that's the cam belt. Usually the car would explode, overheat, the bonnet would fly open and it would explode. What speed were you doing? Are you kidding me? You got to get away from that car. And it was like, what? And I said, Lord, that is so amazing. That's a miracle. He said, Jazz, I can't, I can't help you because it's Sunday and I'm not at the garage, but you need to get that car to me. And I thought, man. And then I thought, my elder brother was offering me a car this morning <laughs> and I had to eat my hat, Brother Martin. <laughs> older brother, help us. We're at pump number seven. <laughs> and I was just crying, help us. He said, I told you. <laughs> and I just thought that is so amazing the way God works. And it's, it's such a lovely story because people, people often have fantastical stories that they, they would say, wow, that happened to you. It never happened to me. But a car a cam belt and a brother. <laughs> you can tell that to anybody and they, there's no gainsay. Nobody can argue with that. That is the Lord. We should have been dead, if not severely maimed. That is the Lord. And taking the car, and I said to the children when I tell the story, that was an angel. As soon as we prayed the prayer, bless us, Lord, in any way you choose and bless all the people that we come into contact with. 
guard dispatched an angel right at the point where our car went dead. And the angel was waiting for us. And as soon as they saw the, our car, three, two, one, gotcha. And then just steer the car to pump number seven. I thought, wow, okay, that's so exciting. So much so, even she was saying, how exciting, we need to tell everybody. <laughs> pump number seven. And as soon as people ask me, would you like to do children's story? My daughter says, pump number seven story. <laughs> she was part of it. And she feels that must have been an angel. It's stories like that that people are moved by because you can't argue with that. You can argue with doctrine. You can argue over t interpretation, translation, and, and people can be scoffers and skeptical. But you can't argue with someone taking the wheel and, and parking it in a petrol station and then your brother offering you the car. In the it, it was just too perfect to be true. If it's not God, then who was looking out for me? Praise God. Jesus, take the wheel. Amen. <laughs> I'm really fascinated by the way you answer the question because many times when persons are asked to share about who God is to them, they will recount the story of another person's experience. But in your case, you share your own personal experience. And guess what? That is really what persons look forward to when they ask us to share with them a testimony about who God is. Now, as we continue, what would you say is the easiest and also the most difficult thing about being a Christian? <laughs> the easiest thing about being a Christian, well, that's a tough one. I think the easiest thing about being a Christian, okay, I'll start with the easiest one. I was living in Northampton in England. I'm in Wales now, uh, the east part of England. And I gravitated towards one of my neighbors. She was younger than me, but our situations were similar. She was a sole parent as well. Our children were under 10. We were scraping to make ends meet. She was trying to work at the same time. I wanted to help her out. But the way she sought solace and comfort was through cigarettes, through alcohol, through getting dressed up and going to the party and just saying, I'm just, I'm just going to have a good time, forget everything. Whereas my solace was found at the feet of Jesus. My solace was tugging on the hem of his garment and saying, if I just but touch the hem of his garment, if I just keep knocking on his door and, and pestering him, Lord, <laughs> I'm still here. Lord, I'm still here. Lord, the widow is still here. Um, and that was my solace. And that, that to me was the easy part of Christianity. You can be in the same situation as somebody, but you don't need to self-implode. You don't need to self-destruct. Um, the easy part is your solace is found in something that is generative rather than degenerative. <laughs> it will give you life rather than, you know, cut off your life. That's the easy part. The most difficult part for me is watching suffering and not being able to do anything about it. Watching people hurting and not being able to do anything about it. Watching evil. Last week, um, we were a victim of a scam, a bank scam. And, um, and the amazing thing was God took us through this trial by helping us to see how we can change evildoers. So this person lied completely, somehow hacked into my bank account, siphoned off a thousand pounds of my, of our money, McCuney's and my money, and lied about this bogus account and is, is now on the run. The police have been informed, etc. Um, and just knowing that he's done this to someone is, is painful. Knowing that he could have done it to someone who's a, a widow, a senior citizen, 
someone with mental health issues, and they would despair over losing all their life savings and perhaps take their own life just because this gentleman has had contact with them. He hasn't blessed them. He's cursed them. Um, that hurts. And knowing that we're part of this great controversy and not being able to do anything about it. But the good thing is, the easy part is that I can pray that God takes away his phone, God breaks his laptop, God takes away his voice so that he can't do this evil doing anymore. <laughs> That's the easy part of Christianity, that you can say, God, you see that this is happening. Please now intervene. We become a, an Inuit, a channel for God to intervene. And if we don't, then it perpetuates, it keeps going. So yeah, that's the easy and hard part of Christianity, being in the world and waiting for Jesus to come to take all this pain away. We've been talking about you being an artisan, and you've also shared with us your daughter's own entrepreneurial endeavors. Now, should I need to get copies of your artwork, or maybe I would like to make purchases of any books that you have in store, where do I go to make these purchases? So I'm just going to give you the opportunity just right now to share with our listeners where can they get copies of Jasmine's art and also books that you have in store? <laughs> well, the Bible art ministry is a product, a fruit of the art that I do. Um, in 2016, 17, I began doing Bible art ministry. So we have a Bible art and creation retreat coming up in the autumn term. We just had one in the spring, in March, um, in which I had students from seven to 16 years old. Um, we were teaching them all the different skills. We had artisans from Tokyo, Kodikasan. We had artisans from Malaysia, from New Hampshire in America, from here in the UK. And we were teaching the students how to use their art for ministry. So that's quite amazing as well. But the art itself, my actual website, my gift shop, our gallery is online at www.jj-art.co.uk and you can see all of our artwork, all my artwork from when I was eight years old all the way up, all the Bible artwork, all the children's artwork as well. We have an exhibition on there and we've got the gift shop as well where McCuney sells her work, I sell my work and that funds our Bible art ministry. It's quite fun as well. I'm just going to ask you to share that bit of information with us one more time. And of course, this time a little bit more slowly, so that in case someone would have missed what you just said before. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. www.jj, that's Jasmine Gemma, my two first names, dash art, A-R-T dot co dot UK. And that's the website that you can go on to. Some of our books are in there. Illustrated books that we sell are in the gift shop as well. Um, we've also got a Welsh Mission Personal Ministries book in there, Jesus Devotional book. And the proceeds from that sale will go into Welsh Mission as well, because I'm part of um, Welsh Mission. So, yeah, please visit. All right. So you've just heard it. And I'm encouraging you, my listeners, to please to go out and to support Jasmine. And please bear in mind that when you support Jasmine, you are not just supporting Jasmine, but you are supporting ministry by extension. So do go, and I'm sure you'll find something worthwhile to purchase. My guest today has been Jasmine Freiter. She's a homeschool mom, literature evangelist, Bible worker, artisan, business owner, and TEFL consultant. Now, Jasmine, as is customary, just before you go, do you have any parting words to share with our listeners? 
Yes, my parting words are, <laughs> it's something that one of my best friends gave me. With every single question that you have in life, every single event that you have in life, every single trial always asks a question, will it increase my faith? Will it affect my salvation? And if the answer is yes and no, then do it. But if the answer is no and yes, then abstain. An insightful note on which to end. You've been in tuned to The Upward Way. Do join us again next week as we'll have another interesting guest sharing his or her story of faith. You can subscribe to weekly episodes on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and Listen Notes. Until then, I'm Marlon Walters. May God bless you. You've been listening to The Upward Way Podcast, the number one audio production show for people who want encouragement and reassurance in a muddled world. 